0: And as an act of worship to our great God, uh, this morning we'll read all of Genesis chapter 1. The sermon text will focus on verses 26 to 28. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, And to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have preserved it. We ask now that you would help us to be attentive to the preaching of your word. Let your spirit rule in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, lately, the... The United States Supreme Court has been very good at finding rights in our Constitution that the founders of the country could not even have conceived. On January 22nd, 1973, it found in favor of Jane Roe that a woman has the right to choose to have an abortion without onerous government intervention. The basis was the fundamental, in their opinion, right to privacy. That finding struck down many federal and state laws that had been implemented to protect unborn life within the mother. Since that decision, some 62 million children have been killed in the womb. That's in the United States alone. By God's grace, the number of abortions performed annually is dropping. But that number still is just over 800,000 per year. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the country. Though touting itself to be concerned with women's rights that is, unless you're a woman in the womb, and whatever a woman may now be, it performs roughly one quarter of all U.S. abortions. Its founder was a woman by the name of Margaret Higgins Sanger, who lived from 1879 to 1966. It was Sanger's belief and I'm quoting here, that the most serious evil of our times is that of encouraging the bringing into the world of large families. The most immoral practice of the day is breeding too many children. Sanger believed women, you ladies, owe a great debt to society. You see... Childbirth, in her opinion, was likened to the production of a good. If you produce too much cotton, you drive down the price of cotton. Cotton becomes valueless. Produce too many children, and you drive down the value of life. When you produce too much cotton, the price of cotton goes down. It is cheapened. She said, war... Famine, poverty, and the oppression of workers will continue while woman makes life cheap. Because you ladies have been determined to have children through your ignorant, willful servitude, you have cheapened life and you have produced all of these societal ills. Those are her words, not mine. Her solution, though, it was not abortion. She described abortion as humiliating, dangerous, horrible, terrible, and responsible for piling up its volume of human misery and racial damage. And yet it was necessary and thus should be available as a better alternative to infanticide, either of which was imposed to set free the feminine spirit. Margaret Sanger did indeed create an entirely new religion. Thus, Sanger and her colleagues were advocates of the voluntary sterilization of women. Fewer children, more freedom for women, they reasoned. In a 1932 article, Margaret Sanger called for women to be segregated from the larger community onto farms and homesteads, where they would be taught to work under competent instructors, And prevented them from reproducing for the period of their entire lives. Either that or you could get sterilized. That's what made it voluntary. If women didn't want to live this way, they could get out of it by consenting to be sterilized. And following the philosophy of Aristotle and other forebears... They would simply eradicate the sick, the aged, and the physically and mentally disabled. Before World War II, one of her colleagues, Paul Popineau, actually called for lethal chambers so that large numbers of unfit people could be systematically lined up and killed. You didn't know that Hitler was inspired by America, did you? I bring this to your attention because I want you to understand that you have an obligation to speak out and to defend the defenseless. But it is also necessary to understand that abortion is not an issue in a vacuum. It is part of a larger world view, indeed, the sacrament of another religion. And as you speak out against abortion, recognize that you are not simply speaking against an aberrant practice. You are speaking to a worldview that says the family and childbearing are burdens that have little value to society. And we're listening, aren't we? The declining birth rate is an indicator. Christ's people must never forget that apart from him, there is no real joy in anything, including childbearing. As God's people, therefore, it is important to understand that our argument is twofold. We're not just against abortion. As Christians, we must argue the positives and the negatives. We must repeatedly speak to the evil of abortion, the pain it causes both psychologically and physically to mother and baby, to the reality of what it entails. Abortion is not merely the removal of a clump of cells. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28 are so important in this. And one of the things that you'll probably hear me say repeatedly is is that if you get your mind around the first three chapters of the Bible, then you will have an adequate worldview to understand what's going on around you. You'll never understand the existence of evil apart from Genesis 1 to 3. We are reminded from Genesis 1 26 to 28 of a great truth that human life is never merely physical. Many who argue for abortion also debate when human life begins. They ask when personhood begins. Very often, Personhood is attached, as Sanger would have implied, to the economic contribution, or potential economic contribution of the person, so that they can deny personhood either to infants, and many teenagers I know, or to those born with disabilities, and their killing is therefore justified. They may simply change the language to afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide, and it becomes more palatable, I guess. Consider this quote from a recent paper on the topic People with Down syndrome, as well as people affected by many other severe disabilities, are often reported to be happy nonetheless. To bring up such children might be an unbearable burden on the family and on society as a whole when the state economically provides for their care. That's science. The science that our government is leading us by. We will follow science, this philosophy is simply a reiteration of Margaret Sanger's position. We're reminded again from places like Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14. Please turn with me there. You, many of you know this psalm intimately, reminding us uh, of God's omniscience and His omnipotence. He knows all. He sees all. Verses 13 and 14 are very important to us. The psalmist writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are reminded in places like this of God's intimate involvement in the creation of every single life. And of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, where God called Jeremiah as a prophet. He said to him there, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We're reminded by this that every man's being begins in the mind of God. It is not simply a part of natural processes. Life begins, therefore, at the moment of conception. Listen, not because at that point there is a heartbeat or because the person can hold a hammer, but because at that point the soul exists To deny spirituality is to deny humanity altogether. It is spirituality that makes us human, not economic contribution. Spirituality that makes men equal. Spirituality that makes men of one race. Spirituality that gives mankind value So the stages of development are irrelevant. We must speak to the negative side. All of the evils of abortion. The fact that children are not merely the process, physical processes, but they are spiritual beings. But we speak to the positive as well. Many women who choose abortion do so knowing that they are killing a child. Statistically speaking. They choose this option, though, as the lesser of three evils. The first evil is to have the child and to end her life as she knows it. The second evil is to end the life of the child. The third evil is to give the child up for adoption and to end both lives. You see, not only are we as Christians needed to speak to the value of childhood, we need to speak to the value of families the value of being a father, the value of being a mom, that of all the sacrifices that you can make in this life, this one is worth it. A young lady uh, with whom I used to work in the banking industry Um, called me one time and we were talking about children. How do you have have four children? How do you do that? And And I reminded her, look, in everything, whatever you choose to do, whether it's pursue a career or have a family, you will make sacrifices. NFL players sacrifice their bodies for the sake of playing professional sports. You will sacrifice. On your deathbed, you will ask, was it worth it? Did I sacrifice for the right things? Again, in my profession, many women opted not to have children so that they could instead focus on pursuing a career. You know why? Because we have trained generations of people to believe that success equals money. In other words... We have adopted Margaret Sanger's philosophy even within the church without working it all the way out. But we have to be careful here. Some could leave the service of worship today, and having heard this sermon, I think the church's work is to remind folks faithfully that life begins at conception and that motherhood is difficult, yet it's a blessing. We we should do those things, and those are good things, and we, we should be active in our communities, reminding people of these truths. But never forget that the church must look to the gospel of Jesus Christ to overcome abortion. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that will only ultimately eradicate every evil practice of fallen mankind. The gospel alone. And so you and I, we might have a debate with someone and convince them to keep their children. God be praised. Or to take up adoption and sacrifice so that a child might be saved. And God be praised. But if we haven't convinced them to come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we have accomplished a lesser good. So, we as the church must look to the gospel and the preaching of the gospel to overcome abortion. Amen. Romans chapter 8 reminds us of this great truth the great need of every man is entire inner renovation. That's our desire for every man and woman and child, is that they might know the renovative power of the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. Read with me Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I would remind you at this point that even for those who have had an abortion this is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ alone. The work of the church, therefore, is not to stop short and say we want to clean up society, we want to rid... Society of all these social ills. You see, if we stop short, all we have done is repackage Margaret Sanger's philosophy into something that looks like Jesusification. Our desires from the complete and utter renovation of the soul that God would produce men and women who not just condemn abortion, but lift their hands in worship to the one true and living God. That This is the whole package Of the proclamation of the church that these folks might find peace. Someone once said that man is not at peace with himself because, or man is not at peace with his fellow man because he's not at peace with himself. And man is not at peace with himself because he is not at peace with God. That's true. And so the work of the church is very simple. Christ has given us a commission. And in light of the abortion debate today, my charge, the charge of Christ to us as His church today is not to get lost thinking that our whole purpose is to save babies. It is. But we want to save them eternally. And their mothers. And their fathers. And we will never ever see... A United States of America or whatever we may become righteous until it is righteous through Jesus Christ and so we must do these things we must promote adoption do you know that Christianity is one of the only religions that promotes adoption Islam condemns it altogether because of Muhammad's perversion. We must promote adoption. Um, I've had the personal privilege of sitting in on an adoption ceremony, and there was a beautiful moment when the judge looked down at this young girl of 15, and he said, Sierra, um, what you need to know is that in the eyes of the state your birth parents are no longer your parents when they go to pull up your adopt when they go to pull up your birth certificate you need to know that the p- names of those old parents is going to be removed and that adopt that birth certificate will have new names of these parents who are taking you in as their own child to love and nurture You see the beauty of the Gospel in that? Occasionally, adoptive children will say, I know that my family loves you more than the biological children because they got to pick me. (laughs) We must promote adoption as something that reflects the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. As well, we must endeavor to support mothers... Remind mothers, even single mothers, that you can do this. Your life is not over. In having a child, motherhood is a good and a glorious thing, the finest of all careers. And we must remember not only is it through the gospel that the Spirit brings renovation that through the gospel people find peace, but that through the gospel the Spirit of God establishes the rule of Jesus Christ. I hope that you will remember Margaret Sanger with pity. Her philosophy of life was abominable. She wasn't, though, the originator of that. Satan was. It flowed from a heart-stricken heart stricken and corrupt by sin. You and I suffer the same sickness. Perhaps you don't express your sin with the same fervor that Miss Sanger did. But unless you acknowledge that you suffer from the same sickness, you will never ever have a part in Jesus Christ. He alone is the answer to your problems. The gospel alone is the answer to the evil of abortion. The gospel alone enables us to find true joy in the sacrificial labor of raising families. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to defend the defenseless, we must do so with faith in the renovating power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, thank You for these words. Thank You that this power has come upon us, that Your Spirit has come upon us, that we have been renovated, that we find ourselves now as a people who who are enabled to, to see the evil of abortion, not because we're good people. We are no better than the Margaret... Sanger's or their Paul Popinot's of the world or the Adolf Hitler's for that matter. No better. And we acknowledge that it is a faithful saying that for every individual seated in this congregation right now, we are the chief of sinners. But we know that through Christ our forgiveness has come and that we are eternally secure in Him. Help us to be fervent and carrying out all the implications of that gospel in our community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.